Pastor Marvin. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate that. All the work that you guys do. And let's just, we don't do it enough. I think they brought it to attention today. So we should take a moment. Let's thank the guys who are working in the booth today. Thank you for all of your ministry. Appreciate that. I think it happens to be all guys today. So yeah, thank you for, I said guys, but can't see everyone there. Um, but thank you for all that you're uh, doing back there. We really appreciate that. Um, because if you can't hear what's going on or if it's distracting, that's a problem. And uh, part of their main job is to make sure you're not distracted by what else, by our means of making this happen. So really appreciate that ministry. Um, last couple weeks, oh, by, my, by the way, my name's Rick. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I'm one of the pastors at Mount Hope. Uh, I'll be outside the front door after the service. If we haven't had a chance to meet, come by and say hello. Uh, one of the things uh, we've been praying about the last couple weeks, uh, Carol Mills, who attends here, her dad, Bill Whiteman, we've been praying for Carol and, and her dad and her family. So Bill did pass away last Monday uh, after 103 years living on this earth. Uh, he went to be with Jesus on Monday. And um, so just wanted to let you thank you for your prayers. Carol's doing well. Uh, but services are this Saturday for Bill and actually for Carol, so for Carol's father, Bill Whiteman, and Carol's brother, who is also Bill Whiteman, they both passed away within two weeks of each other. And so those services for both of them will be Saturday at Sullivan Funeral Home, 9 to 11 visitation, 11 o'clock service at the funeral home uh, on Wind Street there. So Wanted to let you know that. Continue to pray for Carol. She is doing well, but continue to pray for her and the family uh, during this week. I know they'd appreciate that. We are uh, getting into a new series today, and I'm excited about it. It's called Anxious for Nothing. And uh, if you've never been anxious in your life about anything, you can leave and be gone for five weeks. We'll see you in five weeks. Um, the rest of us who are honest with ourselves will stay and listen. Um, it's an important topic. Uh, we are an anxious people, aren't we? We're all anxious. We are an anxious, anxious people. I am, you are. Uh, I'm anxious Saturday, Saturday nights, Sunday mornings. If you, don't, if you want to see anxious, talk to a pastor on Saturday night or Sunday morning. Been doing this every Sunday for like 16 years and still, somehow I'm like, I'll probably have nothing to say tomorrow. Um, <laughs> Somehow the Lord always provides, and I still get anxious at times. We do. Uh, it happens to me. It happens to you. Uh, in many ways, our bodies are wired to get anxious for anxiety at times because, for, and somewhat times, it's helpful uh, when there's a perceived threat around us. Our body has responses that respond to threats. Uh, we get that fight or flight or sometimes freeze response. Uh, to a perceived threat, which is helpful when there's a coyote in the road or a tiger in the jungle, um, but not necessarily when you're just going through life every day and we perceive threats and get anxious and it can become debilitating. We're an anxious people, all the stats will tell you. National Institutes of Health, 18% uh, of Americans in any given year will be diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. 30% uh, uh, somewhere in their lifetime will have an anxiety disorder. Um, according to, uh, it's not just um, uh, adults, uh, I would go all age groups, college students, 
the last decade, anxiety has overtaken depression as the most common reason college students seek counseling services. Um, and uh, that's not a surprise to some of you. Teenagers, too. Uh, teenagers ages 13 to 17, 38% of girls will be diagnosed with anxiety disorder, 26% of boys often diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. Uh, children, according to Robert Leahy in his book, Anxiety Free, he says the average American child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. That we are an anxious people. To some of you, that's a shocking statistic. To others of you, you're saying, yeah, that sounds about right. It's what you've seen. It's what you've experienced. It's what you witness sometimes in your own home. We're an anxious people. The last couple weeks, we've asked you to text in. What are the things that you are anxious about? And that was the, I think, quickest and uh, response we've ever had to a text-in request. Uh, we had multiple, multiple responses. Here's a few that came in. Um, that things that we are anxious about as a church and the ages, 14, my school year and my future, 54, my kid's college tuition, uh, 48, that my kid won't survive college, attention deficit challenges. Other ones, age 23, facing someone at work who's mean to me, I'm scared of this person, work chaos, failure, direction my business is taking, uh, this one's interesting, age 45, because it's about something that we'd normally always see as good, but we're not always anxious about things that may be harmful. Sometimes getting a promotion, something we think is good, and hating it. Anxious about that, right? Those things happen. My kid's future, health, health, a lot of ones about health, um, church, the way the church is standing or current political climate. Uh, finding a love, the economy, climate change, democracy, climate change, different, how I should use the rest of my life, age 57, that I'm doing all that God has for me to do for his glory, age 57, that I won't know God's plan and make a mess of the life he's blessed me with, age 28. This was an actual text that came in, age 46, I am like Charlie Brown. I am anxious about a lot. What are you anxious about? I just want to pause for a moment right here. I'm going to ask you to take out, uh, hopefully most of you received this little book. I know we ran out. I'll order more. If you didn't get one this week, we'll have one for you next week. But if you didn't get a book, I still want you to have the card. Inside that book, there was a card. If you didn't get a book and a card, would you just lift your hand and one of the ushers will bring cards to you? And I'm going to ask, uh, guys, can we get a little more house lights for this part? Um, and just lift your hand. You got a card. I want to take a moment because on the back of that card, there's two sides. It's kind of split in half. On the back of that card, one side, it says what I'm anxious about. I want to give you uh, a minute right now, and I want you to just think about what is it you are anxious about? Uh, what is it you have anxiety about? I want you to take a moment to write that on that left side of that card right now.
Some of you are anxious about having nothing to write that you're anxious about. I don't know. I don't know. Pastor thinks I'm supposed to have something. We'll come back to those in a minute. To set that aside for a moment, we'll come back to that card later in the message. What are you anxious about? But how do you deal with what you're anxious about, right? Now we go and we've got some things we might be anxious about. How do you deal with it? We deal with it in all kinds of different ways. I usually don't use stories of other people's kids. I try and use ones of my own kids, and even then they make me pay them to use them, copyrights. Um, (laughs) So I may have to pay the Krogh kids on this one because I could not resist this when Pastor Brian told me that last week on their trip to Nebraska, uh, I'm sorry, Iowa, his family's from Nebraska, but his sister lives in Iowa. So they went to Iowa to meet um, her newly adopted sons from Haiti. And while they were there, they got a chance to go to a farm and pet some therapy goats. And these are therapy goats. And if you didn't know they were a thing, they are a thing. Um, And he said, Caitlin and Nora and Jackson spent hours like holding these goats and loving it. Uh, Caitlin at least had one concern. She really wanted the chance to hold Tom Brady, but she didn't get that chance, as in that goat. But these goats, they held and they were helpful. And so that can be, that's a thing, people holding therapy goats, and that's how some people deal with anxiety. But you may be saying, Pastor, my goat access is limited. (laughs) So how do I deal with my anxiety? What if your goat access is limited? Uh, Well, let's talk about that. Because while the levels of anxiety may be new or different, and I I think they are, You know, I I had a quote here by J.P. Moreland, who wrote a book called Finding Quiet, and I would recommend it to you. It's a short little book. J.P. Moreland is a theologian out at Talbot Theological Seminary, and he wrote this little book on his experience with depression and uh, anxiety uh, as a Christian, and it's called Finding Quiet. And in that book, he says, "I I am among those who do not believe that the percentage of people who have anxiety has always held pretty constant. Rather, it's just today we're more open to speaking about it. No, I'm convinced that the anxiety rate is higher today than it has ever been. Why? Because the conditions present today in American culture, meaning the rapid pace at which we live, the bombardment we receive, all kinds of readily available technology, the isolation we experience in hyper-individualistic society are so extreme that we're living with stress, stress, and more stress. Indeed, we're so used to being under stress that we hardly recognize it much of the time. And I think Morland's right. Uh, The truth is you always have access to more information than anything you can do about the things. So you get news, you take it in, you get social media feeds, you take it in, you hear it, and this is going on on other sides of the world, and much of it you can't do anything about. So what do you do about it? The only thing you can do about it, you worry about it, you get anxious about it, because you can't do anything else about it. And so while the levels of anxiety may have increased, and our treatments 
may have uh, increased, the different ways we handle it and deal with anxiety, the reality of anxiety is not new. It's been around uh, pretty much as long as we've been around. And it was certainly around in Jesus' time. In fact, Jesus talked about being anxious. Sometimes you may look back on, on, on you know, Jesus' 2,000 years ago, and you might think, what did they have to be anxious about? They didn't have social media. They didn't have all, yeah, you know. Yeah, they didn't have grocery stores either. Like, they had stuff to be anxious about. And it's been around, you know. It's, it's been around, and, it's, and Jesus spoke to it, and the apostle Paul spoke to it. And we're going to look at some of the things the Bible has to say about anxiety over these next five weeks. On the Kindle e-reader, the most highlighted book in Kindle is the Bible. And the most highlighted passage in the most highlighted book is Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to look at that together. We're going to be looking at it over the next five weeks. And you have that little card. And on the front of that card is Philippians 4, 4 through 9. I give this to you for a couple reasons. One, so that you have it with you. But two, for a challenge for you to memorize it over the next five weeks. Uh, I believe in you. You can memorize five verses in five weeks. Um, and I think it would be beneficial to you and to me, to us, if we would memorize this passage of Scripture, commit it to our hearts to help us remember what the Lord says uh, in this passage and about this topic. So let me read it to you. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. And this will be our jumping off point for much of our messages over the next five weeks. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your scripture today, Lord, help us to stand under it, Lord. Uh, to change and form our lives to what your word says, not to make your word say what we would like it to say, to hear what we need to hear today. Father, we humble ourselves this morning as we approach your word, and I pray whatever I have to speak over the next few moments will be of you, will be in accordance with your word and your spirit, will be helpful, and will be words of life. So, Lord, speak to us, your church. We're here to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage, we're going to focus in on different parts of it throughout our time together. This morning, I just want to really focus in on the first word of this passage, and that first word is what? Rejoice. It's actually an imperative. Oh, we had the wrong verse up there. Some of you said what. That's true. 
That's true. That was a little tricky of me. Uh, the first word of the passage is rejoice. And it's actually an imperative. It's a command. It's a command to rejoice. So I'm going to ask you again. We're going to say that word again. But now say it like you're commanding someone to do it. Ready? What's the first word of the passage? Rejoice. Yeah. Now, see, I feel like, yeah, you got it. That's it. Rejoice is an imperative. And rejoice means, I looked at the original Greek, I went to lexicons, I went to dictionaries, and I found out rejoice means rejoice. It means just what you think it means. It means live with joy. It means celebrate. It means have, be happy. Now, there's a difference between happiness that's fleeting and joy, that, but it, it has that sense to it. Be happy, have joy, rejoice, celebrate. It's a verb, so you actively practice joy and rejoicing, but it is an imperative verb. It is a command, and some of you are thinking already, you cannot command someone to be and feel joyful. You can't command someone to do it. Some of you parents are like, I have tried it. You've been in the grocery store, you've been in the toy store, and your kid is throwing a tantrum on the floor, and you have tried to command joy. You have said, no, 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 just, just, be, just don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Just, just stop it. Why are you getting so worked up about it? And does that work? It never works. It doesn't work. Because, and you're saying, so you cannot command joy. You cannot command rejoicing. You can't tell someone to be happy. You can't change the way someone feels. Or can you? Because maybe commanding our words sometimes doesn't work. But you know what does work often? Is when you change their focus to something else. So there's a child with a skinned knee or an elementary school student with a bully at school or a teenager that just got dumped by her boyfriend. And what do you do? I just made some cookies. You want a cookie? Have a cookie. Eat a cookie. You'll feel better after eating a cookie. <laughs> and often they do feel. Why can you shift the focus? I mean, and it's, sometimes it's not a cookie. Sometimes, sometimes it's, you know what? We're gonna, you know that vacation we're going on in a little while? Isn't that going to be awesome? I mean, we're, we're, we're gonna, next week we're going to, kids don't go to Chuck E. Cheese anymore. That's cool. They, we're, uh, altitude, someone said in the first service. We're going to the trampoline park. Isn't that going to be great? Or we're going to go laser tag, or we're going to go to the park, and you, you shift their focus. Or maybe it's to something in the past, like a good memory. Remember when we went to grandma's house? Remember when we went over to your friend's house? Remember, when we went, remember how fun that was? And you attempt to shift their focus, and what happens? These things don't change the circumstances. The knee's still cut. The bully's still at school. The relationship is still broken. But something has changed. It's actually changed the way they feel at that moment. Is it fake? Is it false? Well, no one's denying the circumstances are true. The knee's still skinned. But it's also true that the cookie is sweet. And the vacation might be great. And grandma's house 
had some good times to it. It's all true. Um, and the truth is, we actually can change the way we feel. In fact, we do it all the time. Movies and TV are masterful at this. They make billions doing this. We expect them to do it. In fact, if you go to a movie and come out and don't feel different, you think it was a bad movie. Like they could have incredible content and writing and very thoughtful, but if it didn't affect your feelings, you're like, that movie stunk. We affect the way we feel all the time. Social media does it to us. Statistics will tell you that a time a person goes on social media and when they come off it, they feel worse almost every time. The majority of statistics will tell you that we feel worse when we come off social media than when we go on. We often affect the way we feel. So maybe it is reasonable for Paul to command us to rejoice and be joyful. Not by simply trying harder, but by shifting focus. Now, the problem with all the ways I just mentioned and shifting focus is eventually they fall short or fade away or have side effects. You can only eat so many cookies, and you're going to need to go to the gym or the medicine cabinet, one or the other. And, you know, the vacation may happen, and then it'll come and go. Grandma's house, the memories fade, and maybe everything wasn't great there. But wouldn't it be great if we can shift our focus and receive joy from something that didn't have side effects or fade away. If we could find that, then maybe it is reasonable not only to rejoice and have joy, but to rejoice always. So let's look at the whole statement, actually, that Paul says, and that is this. He says, rejoice, but the next three words are what? In the Lord. Not just a command to rejoice. Not just pull up your bootstraps, not just try harder, not just why can't you put a smile on and, and, and make everyone think you're happy. No, he grounds the command in the statement, in the Lord, that that's where your rejoicing is grounded in. And so it's not simply a command, it's also something that we are to practice in the fact that it's grounded in the Lord. And that makes all the difference in the world from things that fade and don't last. David, who wrote many of the Psalms in Psalm 4, I love what he wrote here, speaking to this idea of a consistent rejoicing and something that doesn't change. David said this, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. And then David says this. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In other words, David's saying, look, the only time they're joyful is when their silos are full, when their bank accounts are full, when the stock market's up, when the 401k is doing great. The only time they're doing, they're joyful is when the circumstances around them give them a reason to be joyful. The health is good. You got into the school you wanted. You got the grades you wanted. You got the job you wanted. Everything's up and to the right. And that's when they're joyful. But then it ebbs and flows with all those circumstances. 
In contrast to that, David finishes this verse by saying, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Rejoice in the Lord. That if your rejoicing is in the Lord, that consistency of who he is, then it does not rise and fall based on those circumstances and those things around you. Uh, And that is something I think that David experienced, but not only David, the apostle Paul who wrote these verses, he wasn't just telling other people how to live. So Philippians is a letter that Paul wrote to a church in the city of Philippi. And he wrote this letter to them while he was staying in Rome as a guest of the Roman government in prison. And he's in prison, and his friends at Philippi were obviously distressed, and they didn't like the fact that their friend Paul was in prison. And so they were really concerned about it. And isn't it awful? Paul's in prison. Here's this guy who shared Jesus with us. He's the one that planted the church. He's the one that he showed God's love to us. And he's in prison. Isn't this awful? And yet he is writing to them about rejoicing. And so Paul is not simply saying, hey, do this. He's saying, look, this, I'm in prison. And I'm telling you, you can be joyful because you need to rejoice in the war. Well, what does that mean, rejoice in the war? Let me quickly, in the last few minutes we have together, give you three things of what it means to rejoice in the Lord. And the first one is this. To rejoice in the Lord, one is to rejoice in the word of the Lord. To rejoice in the word of the Lord. What do I mean by that? I mean, the words we have in this scripture, the words that God has given to you, maybe in the past, Rejoice in the word of God, that what God has said is true, remains true, and will come to pass. That that is, when you understand that, that that can be a source of a constant joy in our lives. Romans chapter 5 says this, not only that, Paul writing again, says, but we rejoice in our sufferings. How can you rejoice in suffering? Well, because we know that according to God's word, uh, suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the holy scriptures. So what Paul is saying is, look, not rejoice for suffering, but you can actually rejoice in suffering because God's word says that he's going to work and bring something out of that. And so Paul says, I can rejoice even in suffering. In Philippians chapter uh, 2, a little earlier in this book, Paul writes this in verse 16. He says, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. In other words, it's the word of God. It's the word of God that is providing encouragement for Paul. And it's the word of God in your life, that God will speak to you through this Bible, through his word, through sermons, through messages, through his Holy Spirit. And it's that word that will help you to maintain your joy throughout difficult times. 
and changing circumstances. Secondly, though, rejoice in the work of God. Rejoice in the work of the Lord. Philippians 1.18 says this, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let me explain a little bit what's going on here. Paul's in prison, and they don't like that he's in prison. So what they did, the people at Philippi, is they got their money together, and they didn't have a lot of money. They were actually it's in Macedonia. It's a pretty impoverished part of the world. They didn't have a lot. In fact, later on, Paul will uh, challenge another church that's very wealthy in Corinth and saying, look what the people in Philippi did. They don't have anything. And they got some money together, and they sent it to Paul. The reason they did that is because when you were guests of the Roman government in prison, you had to pay your own way. You had to pay for your own meals. Those weren't provided by the government. You had to pay for You're in prison, but you still had to, your friends, family had to pay to sustain you there. So Philippi, the people of Philippi said, we're going to send Epaphroditus and we're going to give some money to him and we're going to have them take that to Paul because we really care about Paul and it's awful. Paul's in prison and this is the worst thing that could happen and he must be so depressed and we, you know, this is terrible. And this is what Paul says. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I take refuge. What he's saying is this, that even though I'm in prison... Christ is still being preached, and the work of God is actually still going on. In fact, not only is the work of God still going on, it's actually going on in ways that it might not be if I wasn't in prison. He said, because I'm in prison, more people are being motivated to preach because of what's happened to me. They're looking at Paul and say, wow, Paul's in prison? We've got it, like, this is wrong. And they preach this message that Paul was preaching, and they actually spread it even more and more. And then he says in this book, he says it's actually what happens is Paul in a Roman prison would often be chained to a Roman guard. And what he would do is preach to the guard. And then that guard would go tell other guards about this crazy guy, Paul, who was telling them all this stuff. And, then that, and it would go through the emperor's guard and into the emperor's household. And all of a sudden, Jesus is being preached in this place where no one would have access to preach him at all. And he says, so, so I have joy. Paul's saying rejoice. Why? Because the work of God is still going on. And even though he's in prison... God's work is still going on. Even though his circumstances are difficult, God's work is still going on. And in your life, there's kind of times when circumstances might be difficult. And we might think, you might think God's not working, but God is always working. One of my favorite verses is out of this book, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. And I love that verse. I have that verse hanging in my office written in this beautiful Korean script that um, Angie Craig's father, who writes in this kind of old world Korean script, she asked me what my favorite Bible verse is once and went back to Korea and her dad put it on this beautiful uh, parchment. And uh, the only down, the only, the other side of that story is she put it in this beautiful frame and I hung it in my office and it was there and it's still hanging in my office. But when I first hung it, I hung it horizontally, 
And someone else who spoke Korean came into my office and said, Pastor, that's written vertically. So I had to turn it. It's now hung correctly if you want to see in my office. But it's this verse, Philippians 1, 6. And the reason this verse has always been so meaningful to me is because it reminds me it's God's work. He started it, and he said he's going to finish it. And that, to me, whether it's we're talking about the church of Jesus Christ or we're talking about his work in my life or in your life, the most comforting thing for me to remember is it's God's work. My kids, your kids, he started it, and he'll finish it, and he'll bring it to completion. And so that's my trust, and that's my hope. I mean, doesn't it feel good when work gets done when you're not doing it? A couple of years ago, we put an addition on our house. You know what the best feeling was? When I would come home at the end of the day and work was done that I didn't do. You come home and you're like, oh, there's windows now. I didn't put windows in. Contrast that to this past summer when I decided to resurface my deck myself. You know what the worst part of the day was? When I came home and nothing was done. And the deck looked just like it did when I left in the morning. But it's awesome when work gets done when you're not doing it. That's what Paul's saying. Look, I'm in prison, but I can rejoice because work's getting done. The work of the Lord is going on, and it's true in your life, and it's true in the church, and it's true in the world. And when viruses come and towers fall and tragedy comes into your life, you can rejoice that the work of God is still going on even in the midst of difficulty. Rejoice for suffering? Nope. Appropriate grieving all, at times? Of course. But consistent joy in the Lord, trusting that God is at work and we do not need to be totally destroyed when we see the circumstances around us become difficult. And you can rejoice because of the word of God, because of the work of God, and finally rejoice in the withness of God. Kind of made that word up. But three W's help me to remember yes. it. So maybe it'll help you to remember it. It's really the presence of God. But the witness of God. Rejoice that God is with you. In this section of verses in Philippians 4, 5, it says, uh, the Lord is at hand. And another translation of that translates that phrase, the Lord is is near, that the Lord is with you, that you can rejoice because God has not abandoned you, because his presence is with you. Jesus said, I am with you to the end of the age. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. But that's the word of God to you. That David, in one of the famous psalms that many of us have heard, Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear, I won't fear because you are with me. Your presence is with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You're with me. God's Holy Spirit as a Christian dwells in you. You and I live the with God life. You're called to live God life with God, not on your own, not in your own strength, not in your own wisdom, with God. 
You have the with God life. Isn't it comforting when you know somebody's with you? I've never been skydiving, but if I think I ever went skydiving, I'd want to do it tandem. Like, I want somebody with me. I want somebody else's life on the line, too. I want somebody, <laughs> I want somebody with me. Like, I mean, that's got to be at least somewhat comforting. You know, hey, somebody's with me. If you're scuba diving, right, you're down there, who knows what's there. Isn't it, wouldn't it be great to have somebody with you there? Or if you're walking through the dark, you can't see anything, but if you say, hey, are you with me? Oh, yeah, I'm here. You're with each other. There's some comfort to that. With a child who's the thunder and lightning outside are rattling the windows, and they just want the parent to sleep on the floor. Just be in the room with me. And many of you parents have spent many a night on a hard floor because they just, somehow being with them in that time makes a difference. Now, the truth is, you can't stop the thunder or the lightning, but somehow your presence is comforting. But you... You have the God of all creation. You have the God who can speak to the storms, literal ones and the figurative ones in your life, and he is with you. How much more comforted ought we to be of having the God of all creation with us? You and I can rejoice and have a consistent rejoicing because the word of God is true. Because the work of God goes on. And because the God of it all is with you. It's not about walking around with a fake smile on your face. It's about not being crippled and destroyed by the present circumstances around you that may come. You're not going to do it by trying harder. It's not about your strength. It's not about you're not trying hard enough. I want to make sure in this series that's not what you're hearing from me because it's not on you. It's in you with God's presence. It's God and his work. It's the word of God. It's the work of God. It's the presence of God that allows some freedom here. Let me, as I'm closing, let me share just a couple words from, uh, so we're in, uh, as I said, some of these um, catalysts for some of these messages are coming out of Max Lucado's book, Anxious for Nothing. This is just a little short little book he put out called Less Fret, More Faith. And the first 40 pages of that or so are a little synopsis of the main book. And like I said, if you didn't get that today, we'll make sure we have more next week. Uh, and then the rest of the book is an 11-week action plan to overcome anxiety. And each week you practice one of these practices and put them in place in your life. But in his book, Max has a couple um, statements that I just want to kind of, as we close this morning share with you. One of them he says is this. He says, anxiety and fear are cousins, but not twins. Fear sees a threat, but anxiety imagines one. Sometimes there are real threats, and you might be afraid, and there's fear, and I need, I need the strength of God to be with, but anxiety comes when we are just imagining this, oh, I know they're thinking this. I know they're saying this. I know this is going to go this way. I know this is what's happening. And we work ourselves up, and anxiety is this idea, this, this imagined threat. And so the re idea 
that I want us to, to make sure we take with us today is this. When what is unknown makes you anxious, celebrate what you know about God. And that's really what we're saying today. Look, the word of God, the work of God, the witness and the presence of God, you can count on these things. And yeah, there's things around you that you don't know. I don't know how this is going to come out. I don't know where this is going. I don't know, you know, what, you know, what that person's going to do or how, and I can't control how they feel and I can't control how they're acting and that's out of my control. What do I focus on? I focus on what I know to be true about God. Just like David, you know, the wine and the grain, it's up, it's down, and I can't let my wife rest on that. If I want to have any consistency in my life, I've got to rest on that unchanging consistency of God in my life. The other thing, one other thing uh, Max uh, says in his book, and I love this statement, he says this. He says, the presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. And I know for some of you, you're sitting here and it doesn't feel optional. And even me saying that sounds trivial. Hang with me for these five weeks. We're going to talk. We're going to pray. We're going to look for God to, to do a work in your life. Because I know for, for many that anxiety is crippling. And I'm going to pray that God is going to do a work and get you what you need to be free from those things and give you what you need to be free from those things in your life. Each week, I'm going to give you two questions at the end of the message, and I give you two questions. I want to do this for a couple. One is because I want to spark, I'd love for you to get into the practice of throughout the week having spiritual conversations with other people who are followers of Jesus. Someone in your life that, not just the message on Sunday, that somehow in the week you would sit down with someone and just have a spiritual conversation. Talk about the things of God. Continue the conversation and look for what God is doing. So each week at the end of the message, I'll just try and give you two questions that you can maybe sit down with someone over a cup of coffee, maybe just on the phone, someone else who's a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and just continue and see the conversation to continue the work of God in your life. So first question is this. Where in your life are you tempted to go down the road of anxious thinking? So maybe you ask your friend this. Where, where are you tempted to go down? And let me share where I'm tempted to go down. Let me share what I get anxious about. Let me share some of my anxieties. Let me share what I'm anxious about. And you share what you're anxious about. And let's just confer. Let's just have a conversation. Let's just talk about that. Because I think one of the greatest strategies of the enemy is to keep you isolated and alone, and especially in your anxiety. But to just isolate you. Keep you... In, in, with the walls in and you're the only one going through this and you need to struggle with it on your own and you need to carry it on your own and you need to handle it on your own. So start a conversation. And the second question is this, what truth about God and in the word of God can lead you to be able to rejoice? What truth? What can we talk about? What truth about God? What does God say? What's true? Because often these anxieties are things I'm just imagining. I'm just thinking this is what's gonna, what's true? Okay, maybe it's true. Maybe this does get difficult, but what's also true is God is at work. And maybe God brings out something that you don't, can't even imagine right now. What truth about God and his word can lead you to able to rejoice? So we're gonna close, pull that card out again. And you saw it, the right side of that card. There's a second call. What God has to say about it. 
what I'm anxious about, what God has to say about it. I don't know what you wrote on the left side, so I can't give you something to say to write on the right side. But God knows what you wrote on the left side. And I'm going to give a couple minutes right now before the team sings this song and closes and just ask the Lord to speak to you and ask the Lord to give you a word from him just for us to have some sacred space and listen together to what God might want to say to you. I believe, we believe at Mount Hope that God is alive, that his Holy Spirit speaks, and that he has something to say to you. And sometimes I think we just need to give space for the Holy Spirit to speak. So I'm going to say a short prayer. We're going to have two minutes of silence for you to listen and write down what God says to you, and then the team will lead us in this closing song. God of our hearts, God who created our bodies, our spirit, our soul, our emotion, our minds, our brains, the chemistry that, that holds all this together, you are the creator and author of it all, and you know it all, and you know how it works together so much better than us. Holy Spirit, who is our counselor, would you speak to us now and help us to listen? Jesus' name.